Our gospel reading today comes from Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning, um, we begin a a series of weeks of stewardship. I know stewardship is that awesome time when people begin to cringe and sit low in their seats. But um, it is, to me, always uh, a challenge. I've I've run stewardship programs for, I think, 30 years, I think almost. And um, it is, to me, a wonderful time of year because it is a way of numbering our blessings, of finding out what really matters in life, of knowing that it is we who are living counterculturally in this world as Christians. And so, um, so I celebrate it, and I hope you will join me in that. And also, we've got some special guests coming today who are going to help share some of these ideas as well. So I will let them come uh, on their own steam. I'm really stressed. I'm really down. Our baseball team has never won a game. I need your help, Lucy. Don't call me Lucy. I'm the doctor. You're no doctor. You're no manager. You're a blockhead, Charlie Brown. 
You are the worst baseball manager. Who has a dog for shortstop? You mean Snoopy? Yeah, Snoopy. He can catch all right, but he can't throw. All he does is pfft, I just want to win a game. Just one game. Then I could impress the redheaded girl down the block. Do you want my advice? Five cents, please. Come on, come on, come on. Cough it up. Don't be ridiculous, Charlie Brown. You, you, winning isn't everything. Not for you. You're my center fielder, and all you do is pick daisies the entire game. <sighs> Don't interfere with my love and attraction to nature. It brings me peace. Something you need, Charlie Brown. Besides, you can still win by losing. Oh, yeah? Sure. Yes, look at all that stuff in your wagon. Why don't you give that to children in need and then ask them to join your team? Really? That's radical. It's radical, all right. But by doing that, then you'll feel like a winner and just maybe, just maybe the redhead will notice you. You think it'll work? I know it'll work. We're cartoon characters. We can do anything. Try it. Then maybe I could win my first game. And oh, I could meet that redheaded girl, too. Wow. You never know, Chuck. You never know. Let us pray. Our Creator God, we come sort of all out of sorts just to get here on time and, and slide into the pew. It is our day of, should we say, rest and a change-up day, the Sabbath day, a time of um, honoring all that you give us and making you the head of the family, the head of the household, the head of our lives. So often you slide a little bit down that ladder um, as other things um, seem to impinge on our must-do list, but we pray, Lord, that each time we gather in this community, uh, we remember all the gifts and blessings you give to us that really make a difference in life. Help us, Lord, to treasure them, to treasure this time together with our church family, and to take that joy and peace out into the world and give it to others who are so harried, so lost, so alone. Help us, Lord, to be a source of sun and light and love in this world. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Oh, Charlie Brown. Those were simpler times, weren't they? I mean, uh, when we were young, remember uh, just being kids with nothing to worry about but the next ball game and enough uh, teammates to make a 
make a full, a full team, getting the girl. We grown-ups have certainly fast-forwarded into much more pressure to juggle and work demands, as we know, and money goals to reach, and winning at the game of life, our culture's daily barrage of what we need next, and advertisements brainwash us to never, never, never be content. Our cell phones allow us to work. We know that 24-7. There's no downtime. We have posting on Facebook. We write texts, emails as we walk down the hallways at work, as we walk in the park. We have sleepless nights. We text our friends. And uh, face-to-face, we, we have very few moments when we are unencumbered by that cell phone in our hand nonetheless or earbuds, so you can't even see the lips move, but we don't know what people are saying. We're kind of cut off. And I'm worried, frankly, about our posture as cell phone users. You know, people walk into fountains and everything downtown Philly when they're looking too much. But have you noticed the kind of cell phone hunch we have? Our neck is beginning to grow out of our chest cavity as we walk along like this. We do the one-handed texting. We're walking in the park. We're at our kids' games. We're in the mall. We're texting. Even here today, I have to admit, we we are texting at times. And so I'm afraid that we don't have the capacity so much to look up. And if you're going to see the wonders in the world, sometimes you have to be able to look up and not just look down because this is going to probably bring you more work and more uh, stuff that you have to get done and more anxiety. So try, I'm worried about next, so everybody at now, I'm sure everybody's sitting up straight and pulling your shoulders back, sitting up, you know. Okay, so, so don't get the vulture hunch. That's what I kind of call it. You see the vulture hunch on a branch. All these pressures, you see, to have it all are, are really in opposition to our Christian faith. Jesus is countercultural. And Jesus was telling his disciples day in and day out, don't worry. Why do you worry? You left everything behind to come follow me. Think about it. That was a, a, an act of a living with less, living simply. Leave your carpentry job, your fishing, your business with your father, and come follow me in an adventure you really don't have any idea about. And uh, it, was, it ended up to be a life-changing and transformative journey for them all. You know, with all the stuff we have and all the access to communications, which I'm saying are good at times, certainly. We find old friends on Facebook we haven't seen for 30 years. We can communicate to Tanzania with our students now in 10 seconds or more, 10 minutes. We send a text that comes back on Messenger. Uh, it's a miracle, and it's, it's very good in so many ways. But, of course, everything in moderation, right? The United States studies are showing the wealthiest nation in the world with endless resources still ranks in the bottom 10% for happiness, so people have said, well, from the 50s, our lives really have you know, grown and grown and grown in complexity, complexity and opportunity and consumption and resources, but we're not any happier for having it all. Our happiness must come from another source, outside of ourselves. You know, our teenagers, I hear over and over again, are so busy, we can hardly get them to come to a church event, of course, And some are on anti-anxiety drugs, anti-depression drugs already. Why? For many, because the expectations in school for career success are so demanding, so depleting, the constant busyness that's required to get high marks, AP courses, play several varsity teams. But wait, deep down, 
We really know that performance obsession is not a lasting formula for happiness and fulfillment. Sure, we want to get into the best colleges. We want to do our best scholastically. But on the way, we don't want to sacrifice the quality of life that is our Christian faith. Family time, I hear, is a rare thing. Many people are trying, however, and as your bulletin insert will suggest, to take a time each day or at least on Sundays or Saturdays to shut down, a time when the family puts all the games and all of the stuff away and you just have the old-fashioned dinner time and one-on-one conversation with your children, with each other, and dial it back. Matthew 6, today's gospel, describes the quality life, ironically, as living simply by sharing resources with those who have none. We know what fulfillment we get from going down to help those who are in Chosen 300, those who are um, uh, needing beds for kids. We know we come back and we're exhilarated and it kind of drains everything away, all the pressures that we had, and puts something much more lasting in its place. Jesus invites us to be uh, among the poor, the powerless in our communities, those who must live by grace alone. It's radical, our Christian belief and calling, a radical grace system of generous love where the rich and gifted AP students share their resources to mentor those who are struggling and struggling in class to just get by with a D. It's what Charlie Brown is doing when he empties his wagon full of toys to give them to kids who have none and ask them to join the team. I think Charlie's heading for a winner in that activity. That type of generous gesture we've all known and felt, and it lowers our stress level. I think we're all stressed, and I'm preaching to you, and I've been stressed getting my sermon ready to preach to you. I mean, what's wrong with this equation? I ran out of the house late. I'm driving fast to get to church. Can't find my glasses at home. I thought, what is wrong with this picture? But it is so true. We all do it, and it builds up rapidly each day. We start with a little slower time as we come here to Sabbath, perhaps, but as soon as we leave the door, boom, it hits us again in the face, and the anxiety mounts. What we all look for when we come together is a deeper spiritual joy, something that's kind of unattainable. And you know, when I was so stressed this week, thinking about what we're going to do today and all that stuff, Right in the middle, it's kind of a a pastor's privilege in so many ways. I got a call urgently from one of our old, old dear members um, that Al Shire, who was a 745 worshiper, was on hospice care over at Luther Woods. And would would the pastor come? We didn't want to call you. We didn't want to bother you and make you, we know you're busy. And I said, oh, of course I'll come. I went over there. I dropped all the cards and junk on my desk for what I was doing and preparation for other things. And as you drive over there and you're facing someone who is at their last, perhaps, few days of life, it is a blessing in so many ways. Not that he's dying, although that too, he has suffered so long, is unconscious. And yet, you sit there and you think, okay, if this was me, what, what is it that I've surrounded myself with? What is it that I've cherished this week? What is it that's of lasting value that will make a difference is it all the piles of paper I've got on my desk? Is it all the stuff I've got in my bookshelf? Is it all the degrees I have on my wall? Or is it those moments when I actually sit with another person who is a dear believer in Christ, 
who says, you know, Pastor, I'm not afraid to die. I look forward to God's kingdom. I've believed all my life, and I know it's going to be a better place, and so I'm not afraid. And it's it's an entry into another level of peace to know that all that we're doing can be gone in a minute here. We all probably have heard about the horrific accident that happened down the street this week off the spark field. Father and daughter walking home on the side of the road got hit by a car. And the daughter died. She's in second grade. A beautiful girl I heard. We didn't know her, but she was full of love and joy. And in one minute, your life has changed. You know how that is. And then you look back at all the to-do list of stuff we have to do. We know how that has happened in our lives. It doesn't seem to be worth anything anymore. And what we really want to do is call our loved ones. We want to tell our parents if we haven't seen them, we're coming over for dinner. We want to be in blood and flesh relationship with them and spend quality time. Then the stress actually goes down in our lives. Each time we are in the presence of other friends and family and loved ones, even even when we go into the presence of strangers who we are helping or lifting up. Take hold of the life that really is life. Jesus invites us to do that. And it's not by winning your game, although I know it's a dangerous thing because from what I hear, Penn State won yesterday. And I know in living in the East how important that seems to be around here. I I didn't even know they were playing. But, you know, I know it's important, but in the scale of things, that's kind of the fun way of winning. But if it becomes an obsession that drives us crazy and, and stresses us, I think maybe we ought to look at it again. Columnist Omid Safi um, on NPR talked about an American affliction, the busyness we have um, with on being Krista Tippett. And he called his talk the disease of being busy. He asks, what happened to a world in which we can sit with people we love so much and have slow conversations about the state of heart and soul, conversations that slowly unfold conversations with pregnant pauses and silences that we are in no rush to fill. How did we create a world in which we have more and more and more to do with less time for leisure, less time for reflection, less time for community, less time to just be? In Muslim culture, when one asks, how's the person doing? They're asking really, how is your heart doing at this very moment. Not what are you doing lately as a human doing, but what is the state of your heart as a human being? Upper Dublin members and friends find such deep community building time on retreats and on mission projects and on going down to feed the homeless and such in Philly. Removed from the busy daily routines Last week, the men went away on retreat, 19 of them, I think it was, to a peaceful cabin setting out in the woods. And I heard from a first-timer that went on that retreat that he thought it was so fabulous. He enthusiastically shared with me, and I paraphrase, we had relaxed time to just talk in depth one-on-one about how we were really doing 
not what we were doing at work and all the stuff that we had to do or what the pressures were, but really inside of ourselves, our fears about family or marriage, about our children, our spiritual walk with God. And many of us agreed, we want to do this more than once a year, maybe like four times a year. We don't have to go so far away, but but we could just do it at maybe somebody's home or a cabin locally. The community was so warm, he said, it gave us all strength and healing and joy. And I imagine lowered blood pressure and stress as well. I think we just heard a snapshot of the kingdom of God. When it comes into focus, as the men discussed, not the job to-do list or winning or how to get ahead or what the next degree was, but how their hearts are doing. And they included God in the healing process and mending and renewal. Charlie Brown has probably never been on a men's retreat, but he could still learn a thing or two about team spirit from Lucy's method of stress relief. In that outfield, she finds stress reliever, though, and that is the awe that she sees in the daisies. Those daisies represent symbolically our capacity, really, to see the world as so much bigger and more beautiful than anything we could ever create ourselves. There must be a higher power out there that has created this. And there are uh, studies by Berkeley psychologist, his name is, I think, Dr. Keltner, in Parade Magazine. It was in the Sunday paper a couple weeks ago. He's been studying the dramatic awe and the effect it has on the human psyche to see a scene that is so unbelievably huge and gorgeous. It's, uh, we have this, the solar system here, Ted. I think, you know, one of the things that um, has been on my mind lately is, you know, we think planet Earth is about, all, we seem to think planet Earth is where everything is and everything's happening. And once you begin to um, go with, um, with astronomers, and we have an astronomy club here, in case you're looking for a way to look and live in awe, that meets, I think, monthly, and uh, they know what we're talking about, to see that planet Earth is such a small dot in the solar system. And if you get up there and start traveling, you know, we're now on our way to Mars, and they say it's going to be a pretty sure lethal trip if you're going in the first travelers. You know, it's not recommended that we we be on that first uh, spaceship to Mars. But we will probably get there someday. And and to think about, well, how far does it go, and where does it, it, what's the capacity, and when does it end? We always have a finite answer, but to have the universe creates in us a sense of awe. And that awe has many, many good things uh, about it, says Dr. Keltner. It is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast and beyond human scale that transcends our current understanding of things, that we don't know everything, and all the degrees we get here are minuscule compared to the vastness of God's creation, the wonder. Feeling awe may be the secret to health and happiness, You may recognize it as a spine-tingling feeling you get just gazing into the Milky Way or the Aurora Borealis, the dumbstruck wonder you feel as you feel your newborn's hand curl around your thumb or pinky, the wonder you see in Niagara Falls, fireworks, the Sistine Chapel. People often talk about the awe they see in the Grand Canyon or meeting someone famous like Nelson Mandela. Keltner says, 
that our studies show it also can be more accessible. Ah, you'd have to go so far. You can uh, find a friend who is so astoundingly generous, it just shocks you. You're in awe. Or you see a beautiful pattern in the fall leaves just outside your house, and it captures you. And as you appreciate that in awe, maybe take a photograph, your blood pressure goes down, your stress releases, and you think, I could never make that. There must be a higher power creator. And if there is that, my stress level goes down. Our thinking moves from me, 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 to we and to God. Secondly, awe makes us nicer and happier. It makes us act more generously, eth- uh, ethically and fairly, the doctor says. In Long Island, New York, um, there is a newcomer's high school class, Julie Mann, the teacher, has her students go on awe walks, A-W-E, walks, to connect with nature or art. And these are students, of course, of all levels of academic success in her class. But when they write about their experiences, they come back into the class. She says, the kids who never talked before in class uh, come up front and are full of things to share. It helps them feel less marginalized with a sense that life is still good and they still have an important place in it. And so awe is really what our religious faith is all about, knowing that we are dependent creatures and that we have a loving God who not only gives us all things but gave us himself on the cross and gave us new life, a life that is made whole by living with less, by living simply, by being countercultural and stewarding our gifts so that others may simply live. Now, I want to show you what happens in this last picture when we actually bind together and uh, become one. It was an awesome trip to Appalachia. We worked uh, closely to a family of 11 kids. I think I've told you before, they all had some um, autistic or uh, special needs education required. They worked side by side with us, many of them. And you can see Ray in there, and it's just a, a big clump. That's our last act before we came home. We left all of our, uh, our, our, our fancy equipment. We worked side by side. It was an awesome ending. And I think this is the hope that we have in our Christian faith, that when we actually uh, don't worry about what we're going to wear and put on, but we become one with each other of all races, creeds, that we actually uh, feel the joy of being one of God's creatures and actually letting God be God and we will be in his care. So as we kick off stewardship, once again, let's give thanks for the good gifts all around us and let's practice living a little simpler and sharing generously, taking hold of the life that really is life. Amen.